The Open Source Creative Podcast, Episode 12. Open Source Program, Where Do You Fit? Huh? This is the Open Source Creative Podcast, a podcast where I ramble on about creativity, process, and open source software during my work commute. So, either this episode is a week late, or last week simply never happened. I'm really not sure which one is best for categorizing in my brain. In any case, this one covers a lot of news that happened in the last two weeks. uh, Well, a lot of stuff happened. Also... I have a pretty serious question for you, the listener folk, about the kind of content you'd prefer to see in the next upcoming edition of Blender for Dummies. It's a a battle between discussing more features in the book and including tutorials in the book, which tutorials aren't really part of the Dummies brand, which is why there's this this issue, but I'll get to that in a second when I get into the episode. Anyhow, I, I very, very much want to hear your thoughts and opinions on that. In fact, if you do have something to say, jump on over to my website and post at monsterjavaguns.com slash podcast. Just look for episode 12. The meat of the episode, though, is on trying to answer the question of where open source tools best fit from a, a market perspective, I guess. I give my thoughts on, on where, they think, where I think they best fit, and ultimately I... I come to the realization that we, the users of the programs, are also the marketing wing. And that's a, actually, I got, and then then my commute ended. So I have some more thoughts and ideas on that, and maybe I'll expand upon them in another episode or or maybe another blog post, but there you go. As always, if there's something I say that strikes a chord, or you have an answer for my question related to Blender for Dummies, you can make a comment on it on the podcast section of my website, monsterjavaguns.com slash podcast, or you can track me down. I'm Jason Van Gumster. I'm on wherever your favorite social media site is. Chances are good. I'm there. Just look for Monster Java Guns, and then tell me what you think there. All right. Blah, blah, blah. Enough intro. Let's get on with the show. Go! Oh, we're going to toast marshmallows, are we? Could be. And welcome to the Open Source Creative Podcast. I'm Jason Van Gumster, your host and driver. So, let me get myself started here with newsy things. Actually, going to start with regular news. Regular newsy things. So, actually, there's been a lot of stuff, because uh, I, in case you didn't notice, I didn't do a podcast last week because, well, normally I record this on Thursday or Friday. And since it was the Thanksgiving holiday, I didn't have to go to work, which means I didn't have a commute, which I didn't think about, and therefore didn't record ahead of time. So, yeah, so I, I, I missed last week. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about the last two weeks of this month either, since I'm not going to be doing the work commute thing then. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. But, you know, we'll, I'll figure something out. Because I don't want to take two, two weeks off from, from doing this, because... I kind of like doing the podcast thing. So, yeah. All right, moving forward. News type stuff. There's a lot of things that shook down in the last 
um, couple of weeks and I'll go through the list. So first thing, dark table. There is a patch for dark table that gives it um, a liquify brush for, you know, basically photo manipulation distortions and, and cleanups and stuff like that. And uh, that's something that we've been looking for in, in open source photo manipulation software for kind of a long time. Uh, so yeah, so that that's in development for Darktable. So hopefully that uh, that comes to fruition and and gets integrated, and we'll see how that progresses. Synfig got has a patch currently in the works for improved. Uh, it's a patch or a branch. I have to double check that one, but it's it's improved bone deformations for doing the 2D animations in Synfig. So it didn't look like there were controls for anything like uh, inverse kinematics or anything like that. It's just cleaner deformation of the uh, the curve, the, the the vector curves and everything that were that were in Synfig. So I mean, it's it's a it's a step up. It'd be nice if it could do you know some constraints and solvers like inverse kinematics, but that's that's a it's a down the road thing. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's planned for it, but it's worth taking taking a look at. Other little software related things. It's something I just stumbled across actually, but it's these, these next two little news items are, are going to fall in the eh, kind of open source category. And first one is a program called Twine, which is useful for nonlinear storytelling, sort of building nonlinear branching stories for say games or you know if you're doing the choose your own, own adventure thing or if you're just brainstorming and wanna take an idea and sort of run it run that run the run the rabbit on it and see how well it it plays out this would be a good tool for it so it's an open source tool called twine only downside windows and mac os only so those of us who are in the linux world we're either gonna have to do it via emulation or not at all no so that's that's twine uh, the other one is ormr o-r-m-r i'm i got no idea how to pronounce it ormr 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 I might be a little delirious. In any case, that is a closed source application that is a real sort of competitor in the image editing and painting space. So it, it competes with the likes of, of Photoshop and Krita and GIMP. And actually they, they do a comparison chart for GIMP on their website, which is kind of interesting. But the open source angle on this is that a version of the beta is now active on Linux. So if you want to test their beta, then you can. I think the final cost of the application is going to be like 50 bucks or something. So it's not expensive at all. And uh, from what I've read, the, the Linux support's still a wee bit flake, uh, flaky, but um, there's sort of high hopes and promises, not promises, high hopes for that, that that one will have, have some have some functionality there. Like I said, it's it's a closed source program, but it does work on Linux, so that's it's a step in the right direction, I suppose. In general news, Sony gets its ass handed to it. Sony Pictures got hacked last week. Hacked something fierce, actually, uh, to the tune of 100 terabytes with a T, terabytes of data was yoinked from Sony's servers and much of it was unencrypted. So not only are, are 
unreleased films, like five different unreleased films got, got yoinked and immediately redistributed, but there were tons of private data. There's a, like a 40 gigabyte file on a torrent out there where there's unencrypted password information, medical information, uh, criminal background checks for employees. It's, it's a real mess. This is the second time in, what, three years that Sony's had a really big... Sony as a company, not just Sony Pictures, but Sony as a company has had a really big security breach. The, the other one I'm talking about, of course, is the, the PlayStation Network hack. But, yeah. So, I feel bad for anybody who's doing the IT work. Well, anybody who's, who's at Sony right now that may or may not have your, your, your personal information compromised. That sucks. I mean, it's not not necessarily open source news, but it's on the creative side because I mean, Sony Pictures makes creative things. And they do they do good work. They just didn't have particularly good security in this instance, I suppose, which is unfortunate. What else do we got here? Oh, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasts. In fact, I uh, recently set myself up with a Pinterest account and one of the boards I have pinned on there are links to all the podcasts that I've subscribed to and listened to and uh, yeah it's it's a lot of them so yeah, you can check that out if you're interested but yeah I listen to a lot of podcasts and, but one of the podcasts I listen to happens to be the uh, HPR it's uh, Acker Public Radio and sometimes the, the content on there is a little bit dry for me so I'll just skip over it but there's often pretty good stuff that gets that gets posted over there and it's, for for anyone who doesn't know hacker public radio is is public pod podcasting so anybody can record a show and upload it and it gets they they put out an episode every day so pretty cool but they uh they're doing a new year's show on the uh at the end of the year it's like 26 hours worth of of live podcasting broadcasting thing if you wanted to, you know, host for an hour, I don't think they complain. Just figured I'd share that. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool scene. So it's worth um, worth worth taking a look at and participating in. Hell, I'm I'm even considering the possibility of of stepping in and doing that. Though I will be traveling a bit that week, so yeah, we'll see. But yeah, if you're interested, I'll have links to it in the show notes. Now, here's something. This is this is something that I just recently ran into. When did Firefox start using GTK3 rules for their scroll bars? Because it's fucking annoying. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm used to an old school sort of way. Well, I'll say old school, but Linux old school way of working where left clicking on, on the empty space on a scroll bar will go up or down a single page, right? And then... If you click on the actual thumb, the the slider part of the scroll bar, you can control that arbitrarily wherever you want it to go. But if you middle click anywhere, that slider jumps right to where you middle click. That's what I'm used to working with. Um, Apparently for GNOME 3 and GTK 3, they introduced a different interaction model whereby left click anywhere on the scroll bar automatically does the jump that I'm used to doing with the middle click and then Middle click doesn't do jack shit, and then right clicking the scroll bar goes page up, page down. And that's stupid. 
well, it's not stupid, it's unfamiliar, but I still think it's stupid because I like to use all three bounce buttons. And I was able to figure out the GTK3 settings to fix that, but unfortunately, Firefox doesn't respect those settings. Uh, so you had to use, go through about config and to add a new property for scroll to click or, and yeah, it, it's a pain in my ass. If you're interested, I'll put it in the show notes, I, I guess, but I just needed to vent about that because I think it's stupid. Um, what else do we have here? Hmm. Oh, here we go. So I wrote yesterday which will be the, I guess, by the time I get this posted online, it'll be the day before yesterday, probably. On Thursday, let's just go with the actual date. On Thursday, the third, I guess. I'll say it's the third. On Thursday of December, the early part. <laughs> I can't do the date right to save my life. I posted a postmortem for an animation that I worked on. I think I talked about it in one of the previous episodes, but it's a, a buddy of mine in... Richmond, Virginia works at a uh, NBC affiliate as a commercial services producer, and he was doing a promo for Angel Tree, which is a uh, annual charity drive kind of thing for the Salvation Army. And they wanted to do something special, wanted to do animation, and he asked me to do character animation for uh, for for the spot. And I took a kind of a novel approach to it using blender's grease pencil feature and Krita to do 2d animation so i did a little postmortem and explained the workflow i used and how i might do things differently and what worked and what didn't work for me so it's if you're interested you can head over to my website which is monsterjavaguns.com and it's uh the rest of the link is pretty long but if you scroll down you'll you'll find it i'll try and find a make a shorter link to it at some point but for the time being Look for the thing that says Blender using Blender and Krita for 2D 2D animation, a postmortem. So yeah, go check that out. It's I, I'm I'm pretty happy with the way that turned out. The other thing I've been working on a whole lot of is Blender for Dummies. I over the Thanksgiving break over the Thanksgiving break. Ooh, speaking. Over the Thanksgiving break, I cranked out shit 56,000 words <laughs> uh, and a good chunk of them were new words when I was writing and editing stuff for Blender for Dummies but but in the course of doing all that writing I uh, I overran my page count the, the page count I'm supposed to have for the book and the book is supposed to be 496 pages long and I if I keep up with this pace with the uh, anticipated pages in the remaining chapters, I'm going to overrun that by like 60 pages. And I think, I think I'm going to get a I can get permission from the publisher to put in a couple more like allow for up to 48 more pages. So it'd be short of 550 pages for the, for the book. But if there's going to be a cut, this is, this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit tricky because the, the model for dummies style books, um, the, the, I guess the dummies brand is that these books are, are beginners references. And so they're, they're, they're meant to give you a strong reference for the program in this case, blender. And generally speaking, 
Dummies books don't have tutorials. They just don't. But the computer graphics world, I'll say world, folks that are learning Blender, there's sort of this built-in expectation of tutorials. I, I did my earlier podcast about doing proper and good tutorials that, that give the why in addition to the how. And sort of the dummies model kind of kind of fits that. They don't they don't they don't do tutorials, generally speaking. But because there's an expectation of tutorials, um, I've added them in on on the book. And I have a whole section that's just, you know, a handful of relatively simple but 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 effective tutorials. And well, the the quandary I have is that if I keep if I actually end up keep over, let me let me let me phrase it this way: If you are going to get this book, would you prefer that I cover more features in terms of how they work and what buttons do and and some simple application stuff, but mostly giving the 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 why and the reference? and leaving the tutorials out, or should I be thinner on explaining features and keep those tutorials in? I'd be really, really interested to, to hear what folks have to say. Like, for instance, the trade-off would be, I could, I could talk about the motion tracker and the generalities of how that works and the steps you go through to, to do motion tracking in Blender, or I could have a tutorial on rigging or modeling or materials, uh, but I don't know if I can have if I have enough in terms of page count to do both. So yeah, I, I'd really be interested from anybody listening to this if you you know if you're interested in learning Blender or if you already know Blender and you're interested in giving material to someone else to learn Blender, what would be your preference for the book? I mean, might as well just just straight up ask, right? So yeah, I'm very curious about that and so if you have an answer I'll, like I said I'm going to try to reiterate this in the in the show notes but if you have an answer for me that I'd really really be curious uh, because essentially you'll you'll probably help me figure out what things in the book to keep and what I'm going to have to not include in the book and uh, your your preferences matter now, do I have any more news? I don't think I have any more news. Which means I get to get into the topic of today's episode. Which is, where... Let's, let's try to suss out where open source creative software, open source creative tools, free software tools, where do they fit... What's, who's the best suited user for them? Let's, let's put it that way, I guess. In larger companies, in big industry sort of stuff that, that have established pipelines and established workflows and, and those sort of things, uh, there's the software that's there is there. There's an entrenchment. I mean, even if you, even if you had closed source software of another type breaking in to those existing pipelines is, is on a lot of fronts, it's a non-starter. You, you can provide supplementary tools that hook into those existing pipeline tools. You know, you, if you're talking Maya or 3D Studio Max, if, that, if a company's built their infrastructure on Maya and 3D Studio Max, it's gonna take a lot to talk them out of it. So if you wanna convince them on something, 
you'd be convincing them on a specific supplementary tool to to aid in that workflow. So you need a, you need ZBrush for sculpting. You need uh, Shotgun for uh, asset management. It's your your likelihood of of replacing Maya or Max or Houdini. I guess so. Softimage is a, is a slightly different different case since it's going to be discontinued, and so they'll, you know there'll have to be some sort of migration chain for in plan for that. But it takes that level of an event to get a to get a company to change a major component of their pipeline. So open source tools, unless you're starting fresh, unless you're starting a new studio, a new company, a new uh, work environment, you're not going to replace a core pipeline tool with open source software. It's, it's not likely to happen. Now you can, and people do this, you can use open source software, I, I don't want to say covertly, but off the books? I don't have a really good word for it. You can use open source software as part of your job in, uh, in working as long as nobody knows about it, but don't expect the entire company to switch over to that tool. I guess that's really the, 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 the point I'm talking about. Because again, there, there's a level of entrenchment there that, that you're not going to really find an easy way to overcome. So yeah, if you're starting a new studio, if you're starting fresh, then that's a place where you can, where you can build open source tools into that infrastructure. And that's essentially what I'd done with my studio when I was still running it. And, and yeah, so if you, if you're, if you're starting fresh and starting new, then, then, you know, the world's wide open and, and you're not, you don't have any level of entrenchment aside from, you know, maybe you live in, a, in an area where the market of artists all use a particular tool. And yeah, I mean, you can hit the ground running, but you know, people aren't difficult to train to use something else. So that's not a huge, huge excuse. It's not a hugely valid excuse, I should say. So yeah, so starting fresh, new studio, new thing. That would be a good application where you could incorporate free software as your, your primary pipeline tools. On the freelance side, so if you're working directly with a customer and all the customer cares about is what the final pretty picture looks like moving or otherwise then yeah from the freelance side you could use whatever tool you want i mean as far as they're concerned you could use a, a a duck and a hammer and as long as the picture looked right then then you're good to go i'm really not entirely sure what pictures you can make with a duck and a hammer but please do not send me images of this because i think i might throw up <laughs> And of course, you know, the, 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 the thing everyone always goes to is going to be the hobbyist and amateur market uh, or indie market, if you, want to, if you want to talk about that. But people who are doing things independently, not necessarily for a profit, not necessarily for a living. Um, those obvious use cases. But let's, let's stick to the, to the, to the cases where, where someone wants to make a living using the software. Because that's... that's I think that's one of the more interesting cases. And so, so far we've got two listed, right? We've got starting a new studio, new business fresh. Uh, you escape the, the, the notion of entrenchment so you can use open source software then, that's a good fit. And necessarily because they're startups, because they're starting, these are gonna be small boutique size studios, be it for 
animation, be it for video, be it for uh, illustration, comics, you name it, that's, if it's starting, it's going to be a small. Uh, it's just sort of par for the course. So that's, that's, that's the level of expectation to go with. And again, the second one being freelance, independent, you know, if you're dealing directly with a customer and all they want is an image or a video file, then fuck, it doesn't really matter at all. You just go, you're done. Or if they, you know, if you're writing and, and all they need is a PDF or, you know, whatever other sort of uh, text file, <laughs> then again, it, it doesn't particularly matter what you work in as long as you can make that deliverable, you're good to go. The other suitable place for that I think for, for open source creative tools, as far as a, the majorly suitable place, it would be in a mid to large, well, I mean, it could be any, but I mean, I'm, I'll speak specifically to the case of mid to large size company, that the primary output of that company is not a creative product, but they need to do creative things. So a marketing department in, in a larger company, right? If that marketing department needs to put together sales copy, you could use LibreOffice or, or whatever, or Remarkable, haha. Uh, or if they need to put together flyers and, and, and brochure style layout stuff, Scribus works great for that. Inkscape might be a decent place to start on that. Um, painting tool, three, digital painting tools, 3D for, for certain levels of graphics. So that's the other, like, I guess really suitable fit, I think, for open source tools. I mean, let me try to work them backwards. So we've got largish companies that don't do creative output, but they have creative material that needs to be generated. So you, the the idea here is 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 primarily a financial one, right? You know, the the idea is not spending spending money on software licenses that you uh, you know you use once in a blue moon you know, there's not that's a purely financial decision there so the advantages the advantages in that case are yeah pure almost almost entirely financial there's there's not much more beyond that on the freelance side it's similar right you're you're a small small person yeah for commercial software one customer one job should be enough to pay pay for a seat of whatever program you're using programs you're using because that's the other thing if you're an indie if you're doing stuff freelance then it's not usually just one tool that you're working with right it's going to be you say say you're doing a full production sort of tv spot kind of thing right so in that case you're going to need video editing software you're going to need 2d image editing software you're going to need you might need 3d software you might need motion tracking software and if you go to the proprietary side that let's just start setting that up right so i mean there is there is the financial side of it but there's also the level of control and the level of support you can get as an individual using free and open source tools and yeah i'm a little bit spoiled for, as as a Blender user, I am a little bit spoiled. I understand that uh, they they tend to be very a lot more responsive than than some other other uh, software development folks can be. And that's I mean that's not bad mouthing those other other applications. It's just again, Blender's spoiled me a little bit. The Blender development community has spo spoiled me a little bit. 
And so if you run into a bug or you've there's a small feature that you need, open source software developers, if they know that you're doing cool stuff, a lot of times they will they will go out of their way to help fix whatever bug you need or or, fi- or uh, maybe add a small feature that that would help you. They you know that they're interested in their software being used and interested in, in, in interesting use case, use cases. So yeah, very very often you'll you'll see that sort of thing happen. So as as a freelancer as an indie, getting that level of support right from the people who are making the software, you're not going to get that necessarily from from a closed source package like Photoshop or uh, sorry like Adobe or or Autodesk products or or anything like that. I mean, you might to, to some degree, but for like fixing a bug or getting a new feature, they're they're you know you're gonna have to wait for the next release cycle for that to happen, and um, sometimes those those take a while to come out. So yeah, there there's there is that advantage for the for the freelance side, and then and if you're a technical, if you know if you're you happen to be any kind of technical artist, which is a good thing to be, then then a little automations, little bits of 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 code little some of those little easy patches you might be able to do yourself uh, it might you know there's always the the sort of cost benefit analysis of deciding whether or not it's worth your time to go through the effort of uh, of hacking the source code but you know sometimes it is sometimes it isn't but you have that flexibility you have that capability available to you which is is a very nice thing and then for the small startup shop Right, so the the, the, the the new entrenchment-free, or thus far entrenchment-free studio you start based on, on an open source pipe. That one, there's some, there's some, all you know, yeah, there, again, there's a financial benefit to it, but that's really not the biggest, best reason. The level of customizability that you can have in the software is, is off the chart. I mean, in the event, I mean, a lot of, like, you could have the benefit of, writing your own custom software to do exactly what you want without having to write the fundamental core of it. You just have to write the features that you need. If that's what you, you know, if that's, if that's what your, your business model calls for. If it doesn't, then you don't have to worry about it. You just live on the user land side of things. And there's, there's benefits to doing that as well. But yeah, or, you know, if you just need one, you can, you know, you can hire a freelance developer to, to add a feature you need. And if you, you, you wish to share that back with, the the you know the general population of users you can do that or if you just want to sort of hoard it and keep it to yourself for your for your own production you can do that too the only problem is you have to make sure that you you maintain it and and keep it in sync with with the main development tree otherwise you'll be running on a, on a much older version constantly and any new features you won't be able to take advantage of directly so there's there's a trade-off in in, in that if you don't if you pay for development but don't keep an interest in either maintaining it or getting it integrated into um, the master development tree. And then again the, the fourth use case would be similar to the first one actually. So the first one was well first one on this new in this list that I've been running through. The the the, the first one I mentioned here was was uh, you working in a larger company that, that doesn't do creative output, right? Well you could be working in a company that does do creative output but your department isn't focused on that one thing. So what am I talking about? So you're doing magazine layouts and 
you know, there, there's, there's a photograph of a new product, but it's missing something. And you could quickly do a 3D model to, to push that into the, to the image, right? Or you're working in, in visual effects and need to add a small animation to give your, the, the scene a little bit more life. Rather than push that out to the, the department that actually is supposed to do animation, you could do the little one yourself there and the shot looks better and you don't bother them and, and everyone's happy, right? So you get a lot of things like that. And so, yeah, there's, there's similarity actually in the beginning and in, in the, the, the first and the last one in that you're using the tool that you need to get your, your facet of the job done, but it's not necessarily something you do day in and day out with it. The day in, day out folks, are, those are going to be the freelancers. Those are going to be the, the, the small boutique shops or the startup shops. Cause again, I mean, it can start up and get bigger, but we'll just, we'll say the, the, startup boutiques and and freelancers the you know the the primary the primary fit there is absolutely day in day out using it all the time and and that's where the ability to get bugs fixed quickly and new features added or or work with a development branch are all very very useful very very valuable if you're on the side fringes of that though if you're again working in a company that doesn't necessarily do creative output or you're working as part of a creative output company but your your department doesn't focus on that facet of it or whatever you're working in and you need i don't know business cards right you can do design for that in, in inkscape and and lay it out for print and scribus and and there you go you're done so yeah i mean i think so I, I think what's the point of me talking about this the point I'm talking, um, the reason why I'm focusing on this, I guess, is there's, I think, far too much focus, and you don't see this on smaller creatives, so to speak. So you don't see this so much in writers or illustrators or sort of independent musicians. If they use uh, open source tools, open source software as part of their, their production process, they fit this model fine and they, they work out just great. It's in the, the larger segments. So, you know, large, like magazine photography or uh, you know, television or film animation, visual effects, these, these large collaborative pipeline kind of things. That's where you're gonna see a lot of, the thing is you see a lot of people have an interest in trying to push open source tools into those large realms. And I, I think that's a mistake. And again, I've got a little bit of a bias mostly because I've never had a huge interest personally in working at a larger company like that. My, my, my natural proclivities, my, my natural tastes are for a, a small, a far smaller environment. Right? So to that end, I kind of, I, I have a greater affinity for, for, for the day in day out crowd. And the, the issue is you're, you're not on, on the software evangelist side of things. You have a large chunk of folks who essentially they're they're They want to see blender get used at dreamworks or Pixar or, or those sort of things. And as, and I can tell you right now, 
it does get used in there, but it doesn't get used. It's not a main pipeline tool, and it's not likely to to supplant whatever the main tool is unless something like drastic and dramatic happens. And drastic, dramatic things simply just they don't happen often. Often, sorry, I. I I've been working on the on the realization that that the T in often is silent, and uh, it's a difficult thing to work yourself out of that habit. By the way, so yeah, I guess I guess that's the point of this whole thing is that there are a lot of niches, a lot of creative positions, creative segments where it makes sense to use open, free and open source tools. Ideolo- ideology aside, I'm just talking about like pragmatic reasons. Um, there, there, are, there are good arguments and, and use cases for a bunch of different places where, where it says it makes sense in this instance to use an open source tool. It just fits and works fine. There's a lot of those. But there's an obsession with trying to get these tools in those larger channels and those larger pipes and it's it's chasing a a a desire that a isn't likely to happen simply because it's there's there's a level of entrenchment there and b it's quite honestly it, it neglects all the valid cases all the valid places for it and that's why i always have a problem when people are saying you know, it'll never get used in the industry. If you, if you want to get it used in blah, 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 in this large company, then you're going to have to change X, Y, and Z. Well, it, it's not necessary for these tools to be used in those larger uh, pipelines and workflows. It's just, it's, it's maybe that's not the audience, right? And again, this and this goes back to the, the last episode of, of, of knowing your audience right the 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 audience for open source tools i don't think the appropriate audience is these large creative production houses that already have a level of entrenchment it's it's just it's just not not the ideal place for them to fit and and i don't think it's the most of these programs it's not even an explicit target as far as an audience goes. Um, there's a far better fit with, um, ca- with to some level, casual users. And on the, the power user side of things, your day-in, day-out, small shop and, and freelance shop. That's where, like, if, if these projects were to have a notion of marketing, which a lot of them don't. They, you know, the, the, they're there, the people who make the programs are there to make the program. They're not necessarily there to evangelize the program or, or, or even market the program, not intentionally at least. And, but if they were to, the focus should be on small time power, power users and and perhaps, depending on what the program is, perhaps a casual user. But it'd have to be a, a particular kind of casual user. It would depend on the program, really. Um, because, I mean, if, if 
if all you want to do is is red eye reduction or cropping then probably gimp's not the tool for you there are other tools that are better suited for that as an example and and that kind of awareness needs to needs you know needs to exist i think i guess that's part of the problem too is that since most of these tools don't have necess- don't necessarily have a a marketing angle then all of the marketing is either unintentional by developers just saying stuff in public which it's marketing it's just not intentional marketing and that 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 means it's always not always flat it's not necessarily flattering in all cases or effective for that for that matter so you have that and then your only other form there is can i say uh, overly enthusiastic evangelists so you have people who are are basically their proclamation is that this is this tool is the best tool ever in all cases and everyone should use it and that's you know that's while that's nice to say it's it's not necessarily true and it's not necessarily the case and so it's it's i think it's a matter of of so as users of these programs we are we are essentially the marketing wing of these programs by using these programs you and i are the marketing team and if you do any sort of like entrepreneurialism business related stuff one of the things you that's kind of known is that your best marketing your best advertising is going to be word of mouth and most effective is going to be word of mouth so we are the word of mouth and in essence, with so a couple of rare exceptions, that's all that these programs have is us. That's us for marketing. So you kind of need to not be a dick. <laughs> and you kind of need to pick your battles and know your audience when you're talking about this stuff. Because the tools are effective. The tools that we have are good tools. But they're not good tools in all cases. They're not good tools for everybody. And we have to accept that that's okay and not be the, the, the person when all you have is a hammer and everything becomes a nail because that's, that's, that's simply not the way it works. And I guess that's, that's really what I'm, what I'm honing in on here. And that's, it's funny because half the times when I start these podcasts, I don't really know what the point is that I'm talking about. I don't know if you guys caught on to that one yet. Uh, Spoiler alert! <laughs> um, I, I I I do these podcasts to figure shit out on my own, just as much as as maybe explain a thing or two that I've already think I've figured out. And but I guess yeah, that's 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 really the like the real point that I'm that I'm trying to focus on is in open source software. Where the marketing. We're the advertising department and our behavior plays a really big part into whether or not other people will use the programs that we love. And I mean, you'll, you'll see people about different programs here and there. You'll say, yeah, you know, I, I, I like the features, but the people who use it are douchebags. You hear that a lot about Mac users. <laughs> so I just had to throw a little flame on that fire, but I mean you'll 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 see that you'll see people who who the community is a bunch of douchebags. I don't 
I, I'd use a program for its capabilities, but the other, the people who I talk to about using it and getting help, they're all a bunch of dicks. And so I don't really want to talk to them. And I, therefore, I'm not going to use it. So that happens. And it happens precisely because we are all the program has for advertising and marketing. So keep that in mind, I guess, is, is what, I'll, what I'll end this episode on since I'm pulling up here. Is I'll, I'll, I'll end it on that. Keep, that. keep that bit in mind. As you go out into the world and talk about using free and open source software for creative projects, know that there's a specific audience where it's useful and there's a, there are places where it's not useful. And so things that work for you aren't going to work for everyone else, but that's, and that's the context that you hedge things in. You, you say, this is what worked for me and I like using it. And this is where, where it's most applicable. And remember Nobody's selling open source software, right? No one, well, there are some instances where people are actually selling open source software, but there's not, there's not a corporate entity that's overseeing it. There's not shareholders that you have to keep up with. It's software, it's out there, it does its thing, and people develop it largely to scratch the rich. I mean, that, that model whether or not you have development funds and those sort of things, that, that's still the core model. People writing code about what interests them. But yeah, that, that's, that's, that's kind of one of the advantages is that, that the software is, is beholden only to itself, really, and the people who are making it. And so it doesn't, there's not an intrinsic need to get the software in these larger pipelines and larger segments. Now, yeah, I know there's the selfish desire of maybe I'd like to work in this this large company and use my open source tools that I know and love there. There 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 is that angle, right? There there is there is partially that desire, but I mean, if you're going to work in these larger larger companies, you're going to end up playing by their rules and you know, you're you're not going to, if you're going to work in a larger company, also, you're going to have one job. You'll be a modeler. You'll be a visual effects. You'll be a animator. You'll be a rigger. You won't very often wear multiple hats and cross into other fields. I'm not a big fan of that, to be honest. Not for my, it's just some people, some people like doing just one thing. I don't happen to be one of those people. Um, and so just like, I personally am not a good fit for those larger pipelines. I don't think that a lot of the tools that I use are good fits for those larger pipelines. And I think that's okay. And um, I guess I'll, I have more to say on that, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But since I've, I've, I've pulled up and I've been sitting here for about five minutes, I'm going to stop right there. So that's the show. And I will talk to you guys next week. I'm going to go to work. See you. Hello. You know, uh, you know, that thing's liable to go off. Yeah, it could.
Yes, we died.